Okay, so, you know, it's our normal practice to go straight through books of the Bible. Uh, however, I felt a prompting from the Holy Spirit uh, to, to talk about something different today, okay? So we're going to be in Genesis 4. We're going to read verses 1 through 7. All right. Hear the word of the Lord from Genesis 4, 1 through 7. The man was intimate with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. She said, I've had a male child with the Lord's help. She also gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel became a shepherd of flocks, but Cain worked the ground. In the course of time, Cain presented some of the land's produce as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also presented an offering, some of the firstborn of his flock in their fat portions. The Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but he did not have regard for Cain and his offering. Cain was furious, and he looked despondent. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you furious? And why do you look despondent? If you do what is right, won't you be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must, must rule over it. This is the word of the Lord. All right, so today we're going to talk about a really fun subject. We're going to talk about sin. Yay, okay. We are going to talk about what the Bible says about sin. And if, if, if anybody feels like me at times, I think it feels sometimes as if sin is constantly winning. Does anybody feel that? You turn around and you mess up. You turn around somebody else mess up. It feels like sin is constantly winning. However, the news that we have from the scriptures is that Jesus defeats sin. Okay? The news that we have from the scriptures is that Jesus defeats sin. Let's ask the Lord for help. Lord, would you help us understand your word? Would you speak clearly to us today? That we might know you, love you, and obey you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, when we look at uh, verse two, ver the first two verses, it says, The man was intimate with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. She said, I have had a male child with the Lord's help. She also gave birth to her brother Abel. And, and now Abel became a shepherd of the flocks, but Cain worked the ground. All right, now, we always talk about context. It's so important to understand the context of the Scripture because context is context is king. Context is king. So what just happened right before this verse? What happened right before this verse is that Adam and Eve sinned and God cursed them. Okay, that, that is the immediate proceeding to what happened in this verse. That, that theological term of, of, of Adam and Eve sinning, it's called the fall. Not as in the weather and the leaves, but as somebody fell down. It's called the fall. And what the Bible teaches is that sin entered this world because of Adam and Eve's sin. Romans 5.12, it says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way, death spread to all people because all sin. You ever heard uh, somebody say to maybe a, a young person, you look just like your daddy. You ever, like, I get that a lot, okay? And so do my sons. It is what it is. The idea is that we inherit, you know, physical traits, 
from our, from our parents. We also inherit other traits too, yeah? Sometimes if daddy has a little bit of an anger problem, the son going to have to fight a little bit of an anger problem, yeah? This demonstrates uh, what, 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 how the Bible explains how, how sin came to impact you. Sin impacts you because our forefather Adam sinned. And his nature was messed up. His, his constitution was messed up. It meant that, that, that he could do nothing but sin. And we come from him, so that means that sin affects us too. See, sin entering the world messed up the whole fabric of creation. Listen to Romans 8, 20. There's going to be a lot of scripture in this today. Listen to Romans 8, 20 through uh, 22. It says, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in the hope that creation itself would also be set free from the bondage to decay and to the glorious freedom of God's children. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. Listen, when sin entered the world, it messed up not just humanity, but the whole fabric of creation. So, so when, a, when a tsunami hits and thousands of people die, and you go, why? Because of sin. When there's a hurricane that displaces people, that tears up homes and takes lives, you say, why? Because of sin. When there's a thunderstorm that knocks out your power, you say, why? Because sin has entered this world and disrupts and affects every single thing. Not only is creation affected by sin, every single one of us is affected by sin. Now I'm going to cover some terms with you. I want you to repeat after me. Say, say original sin. Original sin. That's not just talking about the sin that Adam did. It's, it's the nature that we inherited from Adam. That our nature is sinful. And therefore we sin, get this, because of who we are. It is inaccurate to say you made a mistake. It's inaccurate because what that means is that, well, this is not actually how I usually am. That, that is not how the Bible describes humanity without Christ. Ephesians 2, 3, it says, we to all. Who, what does all mean? Thank you. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh. That's that sinful part of us. Carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. And get this. And were by nature children under wrath as others were also. This says that the problem of sin is not simply that you do something wrong sometimes. That the problem of sin is that in the very fabric of who you are, it is in your nature, it is in my nature to do that which offends God. Now, I've told you this story before, but when I was, when I was a, a missionary in East Asia and I was in a country where the law was that you could only have one kid, when I talked to college students, they had really funny things to say. And one of the things they would say is, babies are born innocent. Now, here's the reality. They didn't have a little sibling. They didn't have, they didn't have a toddler about to touch the outlet. You say no, and they just look at you. Yeah? 
They didn't have a toddler that said, you need to eat that food, and they throw it at you. They don't understand that you don't got to teach people. To, do you have to teach people to sin? No. It just comes. It just comes out. You don't have to teach anybody to disobey and to break rules. So every single one of us has this inherent inclination towards sin. What's so interesting, there's a, there's a lot of things about the Bible that you just have to take on faith. Like me and you didn't see Jesus rise from the dead. We just got to take that by faith. But what's interesting, this is the one thing that you don't. No, no matter who, I, like on Friday morning, I was, I was at Carolina High School doing a Bible study. And I just said, Does, has, have any of you done something bad that you knew was bad when you did it? And then you immediately regretted it and you wondered why you did it. You, I don't, we don't have to prove that. It is what it is. So you got to understand, so, so, so what just happened was Adam and Eve sinned, there was a curse, and, and the text in Genesis 4, there's this anticipation of something bad because the Lord just cursed them because of their sin and rebellion. Now, in verse 3 and 4, we get this little glimpse of what ought to happen. Verse 3 says, In the course of time, Cain presented some of the land's produce as an offering to the Lord, and Abel also presented an offering some of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. We were all created to glorify and reflect the goodness of God. That is what you were created for, to glorify God, to reflect his goodness, his love, and his mercy. You might say, how do we glorify God? I'm glad you asked. That's a question in the catechism that we do. We glorify God by enjoying him, loving him, trusting him, and by obeying his will, commands, and law. And not only do we glorify him generally, we glorify him specifically in the roles and the responsibilities that he has given us. So you can catch that. So Cain had a particular job, Abel had a particular job. And they didn't glorify God in the exact same way. They glorify God specifically in the job that they had. You see that? One was a farmer. He's like, I got some fruit or whatever he was farming. I don't know. One said, I got some sheep. You can have this. You know, every single one of us has multiple roles and responsibilities. For me, for me, my primary responsibility is, is I'm a Christian. I have to serve the Lord. And outside of that, I'm a husband to Becca. I'm a father to my children. And I'm a pastor to this church. And the way that I specifically honor God is by obeying him in those roles he has given me. And that, listen, we don't all have the same roles. Your life ain't my life, okay? Your roles are not my roles, but you need to take stock. What do I have to do? What has the Lord given me? What roles and responsibilities do I have? Who, who are the people that the Lord has entrusted to me to bless and to serve? And in those particular ways, that is how you specifically honor God. And listen, that's why we say one of the ways that you, that you can recognize injustice is if somebody is abdicating or abusing the roles that God has given them. So, so, so a husband is supposed to love and care for his wife. And if he abuses her or says negative things about her, he is, he is abusing the role that is given to him by God. So, so we all have very particular ways, and the first and the best of what we have ought to belong to the Lord. Now, as we continue through the verse, we can see that God sees the heart behind our actions. 
says the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but he did not have regard for Cain and his offering. Cain was furious and looked despondent. Here's, here's, the, here's the thing. We could spend a lot of time trying to figure out, well, why did he like that one and not the other one? Look, honest truth, nobody knows. We don't know. But here's what we do know. We know that God sees the heart. We know that at, like me and you could do the exact same thing. And one of them God could accept and one of them God couldn't because of the posture of my heart. I'll give you an example. We both could give. I ain't This is a crazy story. I used to be at this church. I don't know. This is going to be a little cultural education for you. There's, a, there's some churches that when they feel real happy and when they feel like the Lord's speaking to them, they throw money on the stage. I, I was there. I, I've been to that church. We don't do that here. But there was this one guy, very well dressed. Every single Sunday, this man would pimp, dog, pimp walk down the aisle and just... And, I, and look, it was, it was every Sunday on cue, every single Sunday. And I'm like, this man is literally given to be seen. That it, you can say, well, he's doing something good, but, but what's the posture of the heart? The posture of the heart is demonstrating that, that though he is doing something that might be objectively good, it is sinful because of the reasons for which he is doing it. Here's the deal. The fruit of Cain's life proved that he had evil in his heart. If you don't know the story, that is the story of the first murder. Cain eventually murdered Abel. Now, listen, listen. You could be like, well, where did that come from? God wasn't surprised because he knew his heart. Now, here's the crux of what I want to talk about today. Sin seeks to dominate us. Look at verse 6. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you furious and why do you look despondent? If you do what is right, won't you be accepted? Listen carefully. But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. I think what, what, what God was saying is, listen, 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 Cain, I know that the beginnings of murder are in your heart. I know, I know you're not, you don't like your brother right now. And I can see that swirling in your heart. You're angry, you're bitter, you're sad, and you want to take it out on him. The passage describes sin as an entity that seeks our destruction. Be, 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 listen, listen. He didn't say you're about to do something wrong. He said sin. Sin, like an animal that's about to pounce on you. Sin is right by your door. And if you don't watch yourself, it's going to get you. And it says its desire is for you. What that means is it seeks to dominate you. It wants to control you. It wants to ruin your life. It wants to jack up everything that's good. It is seeking to kill you. And you need to be aware. Because if you're not aware, you're going to walk out the door and sin is going to pounce on you and devour you. That's what God is saying. He is, he, he's talking about sin as if, as if it's this, 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 this animal that is seeking to devour you and destroy your life. Sin seeks your destruction. And here's the reality. The principle of sin, or indwelling sin, is inside of all of us. Listen to this passage from, from Romans 7, 19. And I, I just want you, as I read it, I want you to ask yourself, does this resonate with me? Listen to this. For I do not do the good that I want to do, but I practice the evil 
that I do not want to do. Now, if I do what I do not want, I am no longer the one that does it. But it's sin that lives in me. So I discover this law. When I want to do what is good, evil is present in me. For, my inner, for in my inner self, I delight in God's law. But I see a different law in the parts of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and taking me prisoner to the law of sin in the parts of my body. I don't know if there's a scripture that I'll resonate with more. He said, I want to do good and I'll do it. Do you ever want to do good and you just didn't do it? You're like, I should have done that. Or then you do something bad and you're like, I didn't even really want to do that. Listen, I, that, that is the most verifiable doctrine in the whole scripture. Where you're like, why am I so conflicted in my heart by what I know is very clear? It's not that I'm confused. It's not like, what's right, what's wrong? Like, I know exactly what it is. I'm not confused about if it's right or wrong. That's, that's not what's going on. I, I have a clarity about what's right and wrong, and yet I do the opposite of what I ought to do. This, this is the reality of how sin destroys lives. Now, let's, let's make sure that we understand what sin is, okay? Sin is, the catechism says, sin is rejecting or ignoring God and the world he created. Rebelling against him by living without reference to him, not being or doing what he requires in his law. Resulting in our death and the disintegration of creation. There's a lot of ways you can describe sin. Sin, sin is, in some senses, is an action. Like, you can sin with your desires. That's what the Bible says, don't, don't be jealous. You, did, you, did you do something with your hands? Not necessarily. But in your heart, you're wanting something that's not yours. You want it so bad that you could take it. Or you could, you could sin with your thoughts, right? There's, there's some thoughts that you shouldn't entertain. There's some thoughts that you know objectively are wrong, but you just want to savor it. And it replays over and over and over again. That's sin. But, and also, sin is in the actions, right? You can actually commit a sin with your body. Sin is an action. It's a desire. It's, it's thought. But at the same time, sin is a principle in our nature. Sin is like a beast inside of you that is looking for an opportunity to destroy you and those around you. That's really bad news, is it not? That's horrible. Here's the craziest thing. It's also verifiable. You're also like, yeah, it is how it is. Dang. So what are we to do? We have to look to Jesus. He is the one who defeats sin. Listen, Jesus defeats every single temptation. In Hebrews 4.15, it says that Jesus has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Look, there, there's some of y'all who are being tempted in ways, you know, like, does God understand? The text says yes. Every kind of way you could be tempted, Jesus was tempted when he lived on this earth. Yet, without sin. 
Y'all remember when, when he went into the wilderness and he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights and, and the devil came to him and, and, and said, hey, if you're really the son of God, you turn this rock into stone. Hey, if, if you really want to be about that king life, if you worship me, I'll give you all the kings of the world. Like, like he was majorly tempted. And he did not sin. He remained faithful to God. I feel like his ministry, the ministry of Jesus is bookend by temptation. He's tempted in the wilderness. But do y'all also remember the night before he was crucified where he was? Where he was in the Garden of Gethsemane? And he was praying and he was thinking about the cross and the wrath and the abandonment. And he said, Father, if there's any other way, take this from me. But then what he said, nevertheless, not my will but yours be done. Jesus was tempted in similar ways to us and did not sin. Listen, if, if you're going to get advice from somebody on how you do something, you're probably going to go to the person that know how to do it, right? How do I defeat uh, temptation? Well, there's this, there's this guy, his name is Jesus, and he did it every single time. But not only did he demonstrate his victory over temptation, Jesus, get this, Jesus in the cross condemns sin without condemning us. Listen, Jesus on the cross condemns sin without condemning us. Listen to Romans 8. It says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I like that verse. It says, because the law of the spirit of life And Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Listen very closely to verse 3. For what the law could not do, since it was weakened by the flesh, God did. What is he saying is is this. It would be like if the law could save you, I could just tell you what to do and you do it. Does that work? No. Okay. So so the law is good. It's good. Nothing's wrong with God's law. It's a good law, but we're too weak. We're too weak. So listen, listen. For the law could not do it since it was weakened by the flesh. For what the law could not do since it was weakened by the flesh, God did. He condemned sin and the flesh by sending his own son and the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering. Get this, y'all. In order that the law's requirements would be fulfilled in us. Now, let me explain that. Let me explain that. God, listen, I want you to know that the crucifixion of Jesus is the demonstration of God's posture towards sin. What does God think about sin? I want you to see the Son of God on the cross. The Son of God, the, the treasure, the treasure of, 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 of all creation. The one who never sinned, the one who deserves no wrong. Him beaten and bloodied on the cross. That is how God feels about sin. And, and God treated Jesus Christ as if he was the principle of sin. And he condemned sin. He made it clear. I don't like that. I'm not about that. It is disgusting and I hate it. And he condemned sin on the cross in the body of Jesus. But guess what? Because he did that, he does not condemn us. He said, he said so the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled. That sentence should boggle your mind. It's saying, it's saying that because of what Jesus has done, you and I get treated as if we obeyed the law. That's what the requirement was. Well, did you fulfill the requirement? I didn't. Who? Who fulfilled the requirement? Jesus. 
Jesus fulfilled the requirement. So because of what he has done, we are treated as if we lived his life. And he gets to be, he, he was treated like our sin. This is, this is how Jesus defeats sin. We couldn't do it. We were too weak. And, and listen, listen, we were owed death because of our sin. Yet God condemns sin in the body of Jesus on the cross. And we do not have condemnation because Jesus offers us forgiveness. Now that sounds cool, but how? How does Jesus apply his defeat of sin in our life? Let's, let's just, can we get down to the nitty gritty? How, how does it, that's cool that you said that, Pastor Will, but how does it, like, how do, we, how do I get it? What do I do? We're going to cover some words. We're going to repeat after me, say, say justification. justification. I like that word. We covered it with the kids. Look, justification means our declared righteousness before God. Romans 5, 19, it says, For just as through one man's disobedience, that's Adam, the many were made sinners, so also through one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Justification, what it talks about is this great exchange. So, so, the, so, so the idea is this. The idea is this. Jesus takes away the consequence of sin. Not the earthly consequence, the eternal one. Okay? So, so, so justification is the fact that your sin, your, your sin, my sin, is placed on Jesus on the cross. And his record of righteousness, his perfection is placed on us. So that's the first thing Jesus does. Listen, and listen, no matter what consequence for your sin you can have in this life, it is nothing compared to the eternal consequence. Okay? And if you trust in Jesus, he has taken care of that. He has taken care of that, con- that consequence. Not only that, we got we to gotta keep on going. Say sanctification. sanctification. All right, I like that word too. Sanctification means our gradual, growing righteousness. Romans 6, 19 says, For just as you offered the parts of yourselves as slaves to impurity and to greater and greater lawlessness, so now offer them as slaves to righteousness, which results in sanctification. What this means is that that Jesus has taken the eternal consequence of sin and he gradually takes away the power of sin. Yeah? So, So like sin still exists as a principle within you, within me. But the Bible says that the same power that rose Jesus from the dead lives in the Christian. The same power that was at work in all the miracles and all the things that Jesus has done lives in the Christian. And so that as I cooperate with him, as I seek him, as I do things like simple things, like go to church and read the Bible and pray, and I'm open and honest with my Christian community, listen, the power of Jesus gets bigger and bigger on the inside of me, and the power of sin gets weaker and weaker. So so Jesus took the eternal consequence of sin. Jesus is gradually taking away the power of sin. And there's one more. Say glorification. When Jesus comes back, we will live with God and enjoy God forever in a new heaven and a new earth. Listen, where we will be forever freed from all sin and a renewed and restored creation. So we talked about on the cross, Jesus took the consequence of sin. And as we walk with him and obey him, he takes away the power of sin. But when he comes back the second time, he is going to remove the presence of sin. This is how Jesus defeats sin. 
We're going to get a little more nitty-gritty, okay? How do we fight sin now? How do I cooperate with God in this sanctification, this gradual growing righteousness? Listen, we fight sin through confession. Through confession. Listen to 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous. There's two things it is. To forgive us all our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, we always talk about how context is so important. The context of this verse is not simply you saying to God what you did. The context of the verse is you confessing your sin to other believers. That's the context. You want to fight sin? When you see that beast of sin prowling around in your heart, you will come to a brother and sister and you say, listen, this is my heart. This is what's happening. I need you to pray for me. I, I need you to hold me accountable. I, listen, here's, oh man, it's so, it's so beautiful. Listen, the light of confession kills sin. If you would just be open and honest about it, it cannot dwell in the light. In the darkness of secrecy, sin thrives and grows. And you'll think, well, I can handle it on my own. A year, five, ten go down, and that thing got bigger and bigger and bigger. But, but, but when you feel it at its onset, if you would be honest and confess it, Jesus, according to the scriptures, will forgive you and what? And cleanse you. So, so we fight sin through confession. We also fight sin by living wisely and prudently. Matthew 530 is one of my favorite verses. And when I read it to you, you can be like, why is that your favorite verse? It says, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. You're like, why do you like that verse? <laughs> the idea is this. If you know the triggers of your temptation, you need to take action. If you, if you know what, call, if you know, like, when this happens, I generally don't go, it don't go so well for me. Maybe you don't need to walk down that street. <laughs> Maybe you don't need to talk to that person. Listen, I'm gonna, can I keep it 100 with y'all? I'm going to keep it all the way on 100. I remember, let's just keep it 100. I remember when I was in college, and I was, I was fighting to stop looking at pornography. That thing was a beast, and it was murking me. And I would do, like, when I was fighting, I, I would do stuff like, I would leave my computer outside. My dad would be like, why, why you leave it outside? I'm like, don't worry about it. <laughs> like, I don't really want to talk to you about that right now. <laughs> but I leave that thing outside. Well, here, every device that I use, whether it's this tablet, my phone, or my computer, it has accountability software. So if Will Broaddus looks at anything crazy, it gets sent to, it gets sent to Becca Broaddus and other pastors. That's, that's me cutting my, my, my right hand off. Okay, it, it, you, it, it, guess what, guess what? That stuff ain't free. It costs money. Let's just keep it 100. All right, so, so listen, listen. If you're going to be ruthless about sin, then be ruthless about sin and cut your right hand off no matter what it costs you. Because, because if you don't, that will just lead to more spiritual death in your life, and it will destroy you and those around you. Beloved, look at the situation we are in. I'm pleading with you. Confess your sin. Cut your right hand off. 
so that you can so that you can put a stop to the death and the decay that sin brings. And finally, we fight sin by the declaration of the gospel. Here's the beautiful thing. If someone comes to you and confesses sin, you might have some practical advice to give them, and you should. But the first thing you should say, you should say, if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for our sins, but for those of the whole world. The first thing you say is the truth of the gospel. Because let me let you in on something about the sin cycle. So the devil tempts you, so then you do the thing that you shouldn't do. And then he accuses you. Look at what you did. You're horrible. You're the scum of the earth. If they, whoever they is, if they knew what you did, they would never forgive you. They would, if they knew, listen, listen, the God, listen, you can't live in shame without wanting a release. So if you're living in shame, you're like, I need something to make me happy. And if it ain't God, what is it? It's sin. So then you get tempted. And then you sin. And then the devil goes, look at what you did. And it's this cycle that you can't get out. Except with the truth of the gospel. If you are feeling shame and you hear that word, Jesus Christ forgives you, and he is willing to receive you back. Man, the power of shame is broken, and you can go get happiness and joy and peace, not from sin, but from God. So how do we fight sin? We confess it. We live wisely and prudently. And beloved, we cherish the gospel. We speak it to one another so that the devil does not swallow us in shame. But we can say with Apostle Paul, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who live in Christ Jesus. So, beloved, Jesus has taken the consequence of sin on the cross. Jesus has taken away the power of sin in your life through the Holy Spirit. And Jesus will take away the presence of sin when he comes back. Beloved, Jesus defeats Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much that you saw us just being dominated by sin and shame and guilt. And that moved you to save us from a foe that we could not fight on our own. By ourselves, we do not have the strength to overcome sin. We don't have the strength to overcome shame. We don't have the strength to overcome guilt. But you... Lord Jesus Christ came into this world and you experienced this beast called sin and you slayed it. You slayed it when you said no. And you exposed it when you died on the cross. You offer us forgiveness, Lord, and not just forgiveness, but freedom. Lord, I'm asking, Lord God, that, that if anybody under the sound of my, my voice, is, 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 is hiding sin. Trying to keep it under wraps, trying to handle it on their own, not wanting to tell anybody because they will be embarrassed. If they are in that trap, would you give them the courage to step into the light? Lord God, not so that you can shame them, but so that you can speak the words of the gospel, forgiven, forgiven, forgiven. And not only that, 
But as you expose sin to the light, you would give power to overcome and defeat sin. I'm asking that you would make our church holy through that process. That we would be a church that, that doesn't wait till sin gets crazy, but we would confess it. And that when a brother or a sister confesses sin, that, that the person here wouldn't go, I can't believe. But they would say, no, no, no. Let me tell you about this Jesus who forgives you. And that you would give us practical wisdom that we could seek to live lives that are above reproach and that are holy. I'm asking you to help us do that. Help us to be holy so that we could rightly reflect the beauty and the glory of Jesus Christ. We don't want to tell a lie about him by the way we live. He is too glorious for that. So Lord, help us to be honest and tell the truth about Jesus, by what we say and by what we do. In Jesus' name.